0: This is What Would You Say You Do Here? And this is episode 10. Hi, I'm Katie Sally.
1: And I'm Aaron Zerlip.
0: And this is our last episode for season one.
1: We did it, everyone. Today we're going to be talking about good launches and bad launches. Ooh. What exactly makes a product launch successful or a failure? And then we'll just kind of talk about some notable examples of both of those. What does make a good product launch
0: I think that the biggest thing is that it needs to solve an actual problem and not just an actual problem, but a problem that the market knows it has, or at least when they see the solution, it's pretty obvious that they need it.
1: Absolutely. And if it's a, if it's like an addition to an existing product, it better make your old product better, right? It better add some kind of value. (laughs)
0: Uh,
1: It needs to bring, bring something to the table.
0: Otherwise, why are you doing? Yeah,
1: it? what's the point? Yep.
0: I think probably communication is is one of the biggest keys to a good product launch. If you communicate a date, if you communicate features, and for some reason, you're not able to hit the date or some features aren't going to be ready, you know, that stuff happens, that happens to everybody. And I think, Customers are pretty forgiving as long as you communicate these things in advance. So if people know it's not going to come out on the date we said it would, but it's we're going to keep you in the loop, we're going to let you know or it's not going to have this feature, but we're going to follow up shortly with it. As long as you're you're in good communication, I still think you can call it a successful launch.
1: Yeah, and I think that's true whether it's like a business facing product or a consumer facing one.
0: Absolutely, and maybe you know you might even say even more so with businesses. If you're dealing with businesses, you need to communicate even more.
1: Exactly, I would agree with that.
0: The other thing I think is like you you have to have a plan. You cannot just wing it. And I looked up some, some checklists to see if someone out there had written it better than I could. And my favorite product management blogger, Brian DeHaan at Aha, had a really good list. And it was um, it, as soon as you read it, it makes perfect sense. You need to talk to marketing. And make sure that you've figured out how you're going to market your new product or your new feature or whatever it is. You You've talked to sales, you have a plan for how they're going to sell it. You've also worked with your support team. They've been trained on it. They know how to support it. And all of your internal systems are ready. You can bill for it. You'd be amazed, or maybe you wouldn't, Aaron. <laughs> Some people would probably be amazed at how often things go out and there's no way to bill for them because somewhere someone either forgot or built something that was too complicated to be easily built for. Policies and pricing, you gotta have your terms and conditions updated and you really have to have that pricing ready to go and available to your customers. So I think that was a pretty good list.
1: Yeah, that all, that all makes sense. Funny story, the very first product I ever worked on, about a month uh, before launch, We finally sat down and were like, okay, so how are we going to support this? And we talked to the support team in the company that was already already supporting our other products. And they basically told us, oh, we don't have the bandwidth to do this. We haven't budgeted for this at all. So um, that was one of the multitude of reasons why that product actually never saw the light of day. That is awful. But I learned an important lesson that you need to have a plan for how you're going to support your product.
0: (laughs) Ah, Live and
1: learn. And this is what I think has made me a better product manager over the years.
0: All right. Well, along those lines, what would you say makes a bad product
1: launch? Definitely a commonality uh, of all the bad launches that we we looked at, or that it's not solving a problem and is not it's not really it's not the thing that anyone yeah. needs. <laughs> that seems to be the common thread.
0: Yeah, I mean sometimes those are you can be a really cool idea that you think people might want. Yeah, but if they don't need it, you're not going to get as many people buying it.
1: Yeah, and sometimes you know some products were just ahead of their time, right? Like the Apple Newton. Yeah, they were decades ahead of their time. But it uh, you know, it didn't help the fact that it was a really poorly received product in the market. Yeah, true, true. What else makes a launch unsuccessful? It's kind of like the opposite of the, what makes something successful. It poor communication, right? Yeah. Uh, not keeping your customers or stakeholders in the loop launching early to someone's surprise or launching late without telling people that your dates had slipped. Yeah, those are good. And let's see, the top reasons for failing uh, product launches, according to the Harvard Business Review, the company couldn't support the growth fast enough. And that we'll see that in some of the examples we talk about today. It falls short of its claims, right? Doesn't live up to the hype. I think we have at least one of those on the list. So another one is that the item exists in product limbo. What does that mean exactly, Katie?
0: That is when you announce your product and it never really comes out. I think this happens often when you just haven't finished QA yet. And for some reason, there's some barrier to launch and you never overcome it. Next thing you know, you it's been several years and you've never heard about that product again.
1: Yeah, I can't think of any good like consumer examples, but I I know that happens a lot in business where like something will launch and you just realize it it was a big whiff and it is quickly deprecated or like subsumed into some other kind of product line.
0: The Harvard Business Review has one example and I'd never heard of it. Apparently Coca-Cola was going to come out with a C2 that had half the calories and carbs and all of the taste and it never
1: never happened. Never happened. So another another good example of like why products uh, product launches fail is that it defines an entirely new category which requires just too much customer consumer education.
0: That is a frustrating one to be a part of. I've definitely been a part of that for at least a, a feature within a, an organization, and you can identify that customers are having this problem. And as a product manager, you know that's that's a huge step is just identifying what the what the problem is that customers are having, even if they don't know what it is. And when you identify it, you know that they're having it. You have a solution to solve to solve the problem for them. And you have to spend so much time educating them about what their problem is that they never actually get around to installing the product or the feature. That's that's demoralizing.
1: That sounds bad, yeah. And also, if your product is revolutionary, right, there just it might not be a market for it, right? So the Apple Newton, Google Glass, I'm looking at you. <laughs> All right. We're going to give some examples now of some great product launches and not necessarily like successful businesses that, you know, ran after the launch, but just the launch itself that might have, you know, uh, been really successful at the time. The first example that came to my mind that seems like pretty relevant is Robinhood, right? So there's the free uh, trading platform where you can trade stocks for $0 commissions. Uh, and I think when it first came out, it was completely revolutionary because I think maybe the cheapest you could do that was like five or six dollars a trade, and there was still a huge barrier to like younger investors who just wanted to try to invest twenty bucks, a hundred bucks, whatever they had in their uh, in their pocket. And being able to like completely reduce the cost barriers to equity trading uh, ultimately made it a really successful platform and has really forced the whole industry of kind of budget brokers to offer a competitive $0 trade.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that one went from no one hearing about it overnight to being instantly popular. And I feel like just everyone I knew had at least downloaded it, if not put some money on and started trading.
1: Yeah. And there's certainly a lot of hype around like the marketing of it and the build up to it. So it, it, it launched as like an invitation only beta. But then when you registered, you got put on a waiting list. So you still weren't guaranteed a spot, but then they would say, Hey, if you, for every friend you refer us, we'll move you up on the waiting list. So if you, oh, if you're willing what? to like rat out your entire contact list
0: that's like evil genius it somebody is. was reading the art of war when they exactly. when they made this product launch that's amazing
1: yeah i think that might be another theme is that successful products manipulate human psychology
0: <laughs> take uh take into account human psychology uh, utilize human psychology leverage leverage human psychology weaknesses
1: in your mind <laughs> <laughs> Another invitation only product uh, I think that helped really hype it in the beginning was Gmail. Do you remember when that came out? Oh,
0: I think this might be on the, I think this might be the most successful launch that we're talking about. And I'm sure everyone is well aware of how impactful this was to, you know, the world. It completely changed the way everyone does email, but everything about it was so good. The invitation-only model, like you discussed, that builds up the hype, unlimited storage, which nobody had at the time. Yeah. It just didn't exist before. I mean, this is before anyone had heard of the cloud. So the ability to store all of your emails indefinitely forever and access them from everywhere. I mean, there were online email systems before this, but it's the first one that just said, nope, don't delete your emails. And that completely changed the way I think everyone started interacting with their email. Yeah, This is a whole, whole new way of looking at communication.
1: And, and another big problem that they solved was they, they just completely eliminated spam. Most people now probably don't even remember how bad spam was in their email. If you forgot, I encourage you to log into your old either AOL or Yahoo uh, mail account and just take <laughs> a look at how the, the count in your spam folder.
0: I actually do remember because I used to keep a folder on my old work laptop and I had in there, it was called spam poetry, like slam poetry, but I would just take the nonsensical phrases that spammers emailed me and I would put them together to make poetry. And I thought it was very amusing. I don't know if everyone else around me thought it was as amusing as I did, but yes, it was a whole lot of spam. Yeah. But I I haven't logged into anything in in a while to see if it's still like that.
1: I'm actually logging in right now to my Yahoo Mail account just to see how it's doing. It's been a couple of years. Oh,
0: this is exciting!
1: And let me tell you, number one, well, actually, it's just it's just garbled text. What is that? Even what does mean? that
0: do uh, for spammers? I mean, maybe it's just checking uh, to see if the email is received.
1: Maybe it's kind of like I guess, yeah, a phishing attempt. And then let's see, the second email, uh, I could win a free Buick in Fort Worth. Oh my gosh. I need to act now, Katie. I think we need to cancel this recording. You should recording. probably
0: go ahead and do that. I, mean, I
1: need to click on some links and some unsolicited emails real quick.
0: <laughs> what could go wrong?
1: Anyways, for those of you who don't even have a Yahoo account, <laughs> I encourage you to sign up for one and feel the pain of what spam really feels like. So that's what Gmail solved. And it was just a couple of really basic things, but... They solved like a really key problem and that has obviously resonated with people because they have over a billion users now. So I think it's probably the biggest email platform. Pretty good. Another favorite product launch of mine, because I was definitely in on, the, in on the hype of this one, was the Pebble smartwatch. For those of you who remember, they were like, I think, one of the very first like Kickstarter sensations. It was a really sleek looking smartwatch with like a touch interface, Uh, you know, because obviously the iPhone had established that, hey, you can have a really cool touch screen on your phone. Pebble asked, you know, why not on a watch? They Their goal was to raise $100,000. They ended up raising $10 million instead with like 69,000 backers on Kickstarter. And I remember that just blew up and got a lot of press attention. From a launch perspective or a marketing perspective, that was great. But then the actual like releasing of the product was unfortunately like fraught with a lot of problems. They really couldn't keep up with the demand. I think they only shipped 10% of the initial orders that were supposed to go out at the end of 2012. And then they just kept having supply chain issues. However, like they did another Kickstarter in 2015. They raised another like $13 million. And at that point, I think it looked like Pebble was going to, you know, they're going to keep delivering on their promise of bringing like awesome smart watches to the market. And I rumor has it that they had a an offer from Citizen Watch Company wow. for a, an acquisition of a price tag of, I think, $740 million, which is crazy. Apparently, they passed on it. And then
0: something happened in 2015.
1: <laughs> the next year, Fitbit <laughs> ended up buying them for a measly $23 million. So elements of that launch were quite successful, I think just solving a problem that no one else had solved yet, or solving it in a really sleek way. However, the actual like launch of the product and the ability to scale the company with the demand was was not as successful.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I'd actually gone with the next one on the list, the Jawbone. When I first got into, it's not really a smartwatch. It was more in line with a Fitbit, you know, measured how many steps that you took in a day and your heart rate and all of that. But in my opinion, it looked a lot better. It was a lot sleeker. And, you know, it looked less like a Fitbit. (laughs) It looked less utilitarian and functional. And it looked more like a piece of jewelry, which I really, really appealed to me. But what I really liked about the company was the fact that they were working with a lab to investigate, could they tell how many calories a person had burned by skin contact, so through sweat. Hmm. Uh, And so they were doing a lot of really cool R&D. And the the company actually started out of a contract with DARPA. So they were doing some really, really interesting things with technology, with science, with the human body. And I I just found that absolutely fascinating. And then Fitbit came along and said, you know what? People don't actually care about that. They just want to know how many steps they took and what their heart rate is. And Jawbone went under.
1: (laughs) And maybe what time is it?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And of course, what time is it? Because, you know, Jawbone didn't actually have a display. You had to go onto your smartwatch to see it or your smartphone to see it. They lost that race. And I think it makes sense why they were solving a problem, but it wasn't necessarily solving it as well or maybe the correct problem. And so when someone else came along and was really solving the problem well, they eventually went under. Hmm. The launch itself was successful. They were around for a number of years uh, and it
1: was a great product. Another successful product launch was the Ring doorbell cam. I remember when it came out, obviously getting a lot of buzz. It was bringing a camera to your front door, right? So it's offering a sense of security. It was simple to install, if you, if you, especially if you got like the battery powered version. Yeah,
0: you just stick it up there. You just stick yeah. it to
1: the door, screw it in, and then you're done. Yeah. And they were able to go from a garage to an Amazon acquisition within seven years, an acquisition estimated somewhere around one point two billion dollars. So
0: their marketing pitch was amazing. They solve crime. Who can say that? And you can't really dispute them. I read an article by NBC News that said NBC interviewed something like 40 different law enforcement agencies, and none of them said that there was evidence to support Ring's claims. And Ring is saying that anywhere that their cameras are installed, like at a certain saturation point or whatever, crime is down 50 percent. And there's no way you can disprove that because you can't disprove their involvement in it. There's so much that goes into why crime goes up and down, it's perfectly fine for Ring to say it's them and maybe it is. maybe they have an impact on it. It would make sense. it's logical. It's an amazing marketing strategy. It's solving such a huge problem. It's really impressive.
1: Yeah, and I think what was great also just about the business model of it was that you could just buy the doorbell and it's subscription free, but then there is also an additional subscription you could get to like save the videos and have like longer like a, a longer term storage and retention policy.
0: And that's huge, too, because not only does it give you additional crime fighting capabilities, you can send this to the police or whatever. But I don't know about on your next door, but people post those videos all the time. So there's a certain social sharing aspect to it as well that I think if they didn't have the subscription service might not have taken off. So their their upselling is really good.
1: Absolutely. Uh, another kind of similar cool gadgety product that we, we put on our list is the Google Nest. I remember when, when that came out. Yes. Google Nest made air conditioning sexy, you know?
0: <laughs> How do you do that? I'm still curious. I had someone sit there and try and explain to me in some detail why it was so cool. And I'm just, I'm still flummoxed. And it's been years. I'll be
1: honest. I didn't get on the Nest bandwagon. Yeah, But you know what? They, they took an otherwise boring thing that everyone has in their house. And they made it cool. They made it sleek. It really they really did. They made people want it enough for like yeah. Google to go and acquire them you know, shortly after their launch.
0: Yeah, it's really, it's really impressive, and clearly their offering resonated with a lot of people, even if it didn't resonate with Aaron and I. <laughs> Okay. And now the bad launches. Now I was all for just doing an entire episode of bad launches and Aaron told me I couldn't do that. He talked me out of it. He said, no, we have to balance it out with good launches as well. Even though the bad ones are more
1: fun to talk. They about. are a lot more fun to talk about. So let's cue it up. Number one on our list, Google Glass. Yes. I think this probably qualifies as one of those things that was just ahead of his time or maybe it just wasn't solving a problem. I I don't know. Maybe it was both.
0: I really think it's both because it's a really cool idea. It worked pretty well. I think the issues with it were minor. Anyone who actually tried it on seemed to like it. But it wasn't actually solving a huge problem.
1: This is one of those issues where like, not only did you have to like educate the consumer about what it was, you had to educate everyone that, oh, this thing is not invading your privacy. Because I know that was a lot of people had concerns. Yeah. I remember there were like even some bars and restaurants that were like, oh, yeah, just banned it. You can't come in here with Google Glass because we don't want you spying on our patrons. So in that sense, you know, I don't think they were even thinking about like the privacy concerns that would like turn people off from that product.
0: I only knew one person who got it and I think he got it at Google. I don't think he actually bought it. So I just don't think it it caught on outside of the tech community who thought it was cool, um, at least as a consumer facing launch.
1: I think augmented reality has a lot of really cool applications. I don't think Google Glass quite knew what the best way to sell that is. I think we've now learned that there's a lot of really great uses for it within industry. If you're like on an assembly line and it can tell you this part A connects to part B, and then it goes over here in this area, those sort of applications around safety and instruction, reduce errors in a manufacturing setting have actually proven to be like really valuable.
0: And I think Google does that sometimes they just they release something before it's time. We just weren't ready for augmented reality in our daily lives. And I think, you know, maybe in another few years, you know, it'll catch on more or something. Yeah,
1: I'm still bullish on augmented reality at some point in the future.
0: Yeah, agreed. That's a good segue into segue something that had a flop of a launch, but then found its niche in in business.
1: Oh yeah. Do
0: you remember the Segway launch? That was insane.
1: It was on the cover of Wired Magazine.
0: That is the craziest launch that I can remember, at least in my time of paying attention to these things. This guy coming out and saying that he was going to change the human experience and revolutionize the world with this new product, and no one knew what it was. And regular people tuned in to see what it was because of the hype. Whoever his PR guy was, was amazing.
1: Yeah, that, that person's definitely worth their weight in gold. Yeah. But instead, we got Paul Blart mall Cop. <laughs> we
0: got the segue. A solution to a problem that no one had.
1: Except mall cops and airport (laughs) police.
0: I mean, it makes sense if you're walking around in a circle all day, you're at the airport and you're walking around the airport all day long. That's all you do. A Segway makes sense. But that is a very limited, limited niche market. And I think that they thought that we were all going to be going around on these Segways, but they were like a fourth the price of a car or at least a, you know, moderately priced car. And they were, they're huge.
1: Yeah, they were giant. The
0: first ones that came out were giant.
1: Yeah, they were expensive. They were clunky and they weren't really solving a problem. I think what you saw with hoverboards was the successful implementation whereas this is just a really simple platform. It's got a, a gyroscope on it and you can like steer it around.
0: Big difference for me there was once you get to your destination with the Segway, what are you supposed to do with it? It's not like it's got... Something like a special key or something, so that, or maybe it does now, I don't know, that no one can take it. Like it just seems like it would be incredibly easy to steal, but it's also way too heavy for you to take everywhere with you. It's not like you could put it in your backpack and take it into a restaurant like you could with the hoverboard. The
1: hoverboard found a niche. It is a niche. It's like, I don't know, it's widely adopted in a way that Segway never could.
0: Would you say that that niche is Silicon Valley chic? Silicon Valley transportation? It is. Tech
1: transportation. Tech bro transportation. Yes, for sure. (laughs) I
0: remember at one of the companies that I worked for, I had this great picture that I took of all the different types of transportation that the engineers had brought in. And there was a hoverboard, an electronic scooter, and a unicycle. The weirder people got with the transportation devices that they bought, somebody else came in and had to top it.
1: (laughs) Had to one up them.
0: Yeah. So there is definitely a niche for that kind of thing, but it's still a niche. But I think Segway just completely missed it. And now they found their their market and their market is security guards and small tour groups. (laughs) And that's great. But we do have another Google one next. And I think this one falls into the category of... (laughs) I think this one falls into several categories. Google Plus did not they, they had to explain to you what it was. And I still don't think a lot of us really fully understood what they were going for. They had to educate their market. They weren't really solving a problem. You know, we already had Facebook, we already had LinkedIn. And this was like somewhere in between. So I just I think this one just missed the boat.
1: Yeah, I mean, I had a Google Plus account. I think I.
0: I think everybody did. Yeah.
1: Anyone who had a Gmail account yeah. <laughs> probably had a Google Plus account. <laughs> Why but, not? I'll uh, click this button and see what it is. It has some really great features, right? Like I really love the circles oh, concept, yeah. where you it would put you in touch with other people that had similar interests. Yeah. But I think they realized actually I don't want like social media necessary to put me in touch with strangers. I want to use it to keep in touch with people I know and like.
0: Yeah, I definitely don't want to say that it was a bad product. I actually really liked it. It just wasn't solving any problem for me.
1: Exactly. I think the way like Instagram was very different from Facebook, right? And like met a different need of social media. Yeah. That's what made it successful. I think Google Plus was just trying too hard to be like another type of Facebook.
0: Everything. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, it, just, it didn't quite work.
0: So my favorite on this list and possibly the worst flop in recent history is the Galaxy Note 7. This thing caught on fire. This thing
1: was fire. (laughs) Literally. And
0: it goes in your pocket. You don't want something in your pocket on fire. I don't.
1: I watch too many videos of people's pants catching on fire. uh, to know (laughs) that
0: were you watching videos of
1: people's pants That's what the internet is for. To know that I did not want a Galaxy Note 7 that Christmas. Yeah. Okay. I was convinced of that. And this is just, I think what they did was outsource some of the manufacturing of the phone to a third party that had performed a bunch of incorrect welding on the battery connectors. And if you overheat a lithium ion battery, it is highly combustible as it turns out. And to this day, there's still signs, I think, at the airport saying like no Galaxy Note 7s allowed.
0: Yeah. I mean, not only did it mess up their own launch, their consumers' faith in them took a bit of a hit, but it also exposed this huge issue with lithium batteries in general, that apparently we were all just either ignoring or unaware of. So now in addition to this problem with their own product, it's also caused several other products that have tried to come to market to be banned from airlines as well. There's all kinds of luggage companies that have come out with charging ports. There was that fun little one that you downloaded an app and your luggage was on wheels and it would follow you through the airport. And that one's been banned because of the lithium batteries. So yeah. Ruined yeah.
1: it for all of us. So
0: they this this one did a, a lot of damage.
1: Another one that I remember being personally impacted by was the launch of Apple Maps, right? It just provided like subpar navigation. It had a lot of addresses that were just incorrect and then
0: like or or didn't exist. You put, yeah perfectly recognizable large place and and it just didn't exist and
1: then like the most disappointing thing was that apple provided no way to set another map application as your default
0: yeah i think this one goes down in the history of lessons learned don't follow up a bad launch with refusing to let your customers go with any other options
1: yeah yeah rigid configurations there were a bad call
0: yeah for sure So what about Quickster? Do you remember
1: Quickster? You know, I had forgotten about this until you reminded me. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, that's when the Netflix stock tanked in 2011.
0: Yes. They had so much success with their DVD. Delivery service, and then they were able to launch streaming. It took them a while to get up there, but then they took over streaming and they were the streaming service for a long time. And they just decided that they were going to abandon their DVD delivery service. And this was before streaming was so ubiquitous. Everyone still had DVD players, and the service was still very solid. It just wasn't taking off like a rocket ship like their streaming service. And so they just they decided they were going to dump it. They were going to have this new company called quickster and you'd have to sign up with them if you wanted to keep your dvd delivery service and i think that it was a higher price to keep it as well
1: yeah i think that to keep the, both the streaming service of netflix and the dvd rental service of quickster resulted in like a 60 percent increase in the subscription price yeah so obviously you had a lot of loyal netflix customers who were quite turned off by that they lost a lot of subscribers i think it was 40 percent of subscribers or some crazy large amount
0: yeah i remember i was pretty upset about it too not upset enough to dump my service. But at the time I was a diehard DVD renter. And then they followed all of this up with they didn't trademark the name. So a lot of the hype around how bad this launch was spun off all of these accounts like Twitter accounts to make fun of them. There's nothing they could do about it because they they hadn't trademarked the name.
1: Going back to Katie's checklist that Katie cited at, at the beginning of the episode, marketing You got to trademark your product names, folks. Just remember that.
0: Yeah. So their stocks tanked. Uh, They went down something like 75%. And the CEO had to had to come out and issue a personal apology, which I don't think I've ever seen before or since for one of these tech companies for the CEO to flat out apologize. And it wasn't like uh, apologies that you see sometimes where it's I'm sorry that you felt that way. I mean, he was just he was sorry.
1: He, he definitely like ingratiated himself in the hearts of many Netflix subscribers. And ultimately, you know, they went on to be a killer company. Absolutely. Still going strong today absolutely
0: yeah like i said i was mad about it he came out and apologized and i you know it made complete sense what they said about why they'd done it and i understood and in the end i feel really really guilty about it because they were totally right dvds are not the wave of the future i
1: think they knew that
0: <laughs> they knew it before their consumers did
1: i think the takeaway from this is it's not easy to know whether your product is going to be successful or not you've se- we've seen some like great launches that put very little money behind it. And we've seen some really tragic launches that wasted lots of money. So it's also not necessarily like correlated to the size of your budget. I think really what it comes down to is you need to solve a real problem that resonates with people whether it's a business problem or a consumer problem you need to have a competitive positioning and you need to be able to scale that product as demand grows so yeah i think that's what i would take away from these lessons
0: very well said so this is our 10th episode it is so it's the end of of season one we'll be back with a season two and we will be doing some fun interviews with some of our product management
1: friends yeah we've got some very interesting folks lined up to come and share some of their product wisdom with us in season two
0: so stay tuned
1: all right well i guess we'll see you later product land
0: we really need to trademark that so we don't (laughs) end up like netflix adios everyone
1: see you later au revoir
0: (laughs) wow that was really good.
1: Hey, that's eight years of of French right there. That's about all I know.